It's a beautiful night here at Tullaby in the lovely Hewing Hotel, July 2017. I am Frank, and this is the Minnesota Skinny, episode 43. I hung out with the guys from the Profession Confession podcast this week, crushed a case of Coors Banquet in their studio, had a marvelous time. If you're not familiar with the Profession Confession podcast, it's time to check it out. If you enjoy my podcast, you're going to really enjoy Gabe Noah and Tevin Pittman as they talk every week with professionals who deal with life, death, sex, violence, drugs, you name it. Gabe and Tevin dabble in comedy, though, and I got some of their confessions about that. Gabe's been in the stand-up game for a long time, and Tevin is the general manager at the House of Comedy in the Mall of America. I asked Gabe who some of his comedy heroes were growing up and whether he would go back in time and do stand-up in that era. I won't tell you his answer exactly, but he brought up one interesting point. The pressure to dig deeper with what you have to do and whatever, I think it's very good and rewarding. But there's some times where you just go like, yeah, that would have been nice to, you know, to go off and be like, God, my wife's a bitch and have everyone <laughs> just start laughing like, I can't believe you. Oh, my God, I think my wife's a bitch, but I've never heard anyone fucking say that before. Gabe touched on life on the road as a comic, how far he's traveled, how much your average comic pulls in for a weekend of work, and, well, not every club is as nice as the House of Comedy or Minneapolis Acme Comedy Club. Some don't even come close. There's a place in North Dakota that a bunch of comics have done where the stage, they would bring out, like, eight cases of beer and you'd stand on the cases of beer for your stage no i'm not kidding i have a website minnesotaskinny.com you can subscribe to the minnesota skinny podcast on itunes i'm restructuring my podcast platform gonna streamline some things gonna get some stuff up on a youtube channel gonna modernize more on that in the coming weeks but i will always be on itunes so it's best to subscribe there you can also follow the minnesota skinny on facebook twitter instagram just search for the handle at mn skinny we're going to head up the street now over to the Profession Confession studio with Gabe Noah and Tevin Pittman. Let's go in. I'm tempted to just be like, so how'd you become a comedian? But I'd sure. rather ask, how long did it take for you to really believe you could do this professionally? Oh, I believed I could do it when I was nine years old, but I'm a fucking egomaniac. So that's it. <laughs> uh, no, I think with all comedians or anyone in the arts at all, I believe you start off extremely optimistic. That otherwise, you wouldn't go through being so shitty for so long. You know what I mean? Like being shitty, like what do you well, mean? Well, it's like when you're when you're new, like before you do stuff or when you first let's say before I first did stand up comedy. I would go to Acme and I'd watch the open mic nights and I'd see all these people who'd probably been on television or whatever and I'd be like, This guy fucking sucks. He sucks compared to me. <laughs> I'd be so much funnier. I know I could be funnier. And then you go do your first open mic night and you just eat <laughs> shit. And it's like, oh, I have to recalibrate a little bit. But you're still deluded enough to go like, yeah, but I will be fucking way better than that guy if I just focus a little bit. And and then you start going through the journey of like getting humbled and taking your licks. And, and, uh, and then all of a sudden you get to a point where you're four years in, three years in, and you feel like you're just as funny as the... You know, you're a fucking idiot all the time. You always think you're, at least I am. I always think I'm fucking better than I am. Except now in my life where finally you go, yeah, I thought I'd be uh, famous by now. I've really fucked this up. Something's wrong. So then you start questioning everything. And then you just, but it's it's really good because now you feel, I don't know, um, like you have an honest self, I don't know, image. Like you're in a spot where you go, all right, I know what I am, you know, a different way. It's hard to say unless you're old, and I'm an old man. Well, if it's if it's not hard to say, then what what are you? Thirty seven. 
Oh, what oh, what am I? <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't even going to get into age. That's okay. We're about the same I age. Am, so. Yeah. No, I'm... Uh, yeah, but I look way older than you. You look like... You look fresh I'm still. just dressed young. Yeah. Wow. I am a fucking genius. I'm a genius. <laughs> no, I no, I don't know. I'm just... Uh, I guess I don't have a label for myself. Labels are for cans. I just know that... I feel like I know where my skill level is. I don't necessarily question it or think it's way better than it is or whatever. I think I can be as good as most people, and I think I have a high ceiling and want much more than I have. But I, uh, I'm i not, I don't know, angry or bitter. Like, when you're young and starting, you have a little edge, a little anger, bitterness. Like, I'm as good as that guy. Let me. And now you, you kind of get a confidence with age of just like, you know, my stuff will happen if I do the right things and, you know, stay focused. It'll happen. You just got to do podcasts like this and get a giant audience. So if, if you're as funny as the guy who is famous, how do you get your... Boy, I wish I hadn't got into this line of questioning. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. I know what I am. <laughs> if I'm fun, I hate saying if I'm as funny as because that sounds so arrogant to the listener. Um, but it's probably the truth how people think so well you have to have that you have to have that of course type of thinking no that's what i'm saying it, you, you it can't is go on the stage truth. thinking well i'm not as funny as this guy this guy this guy this guy absolutely i mean not if you're gonna be good or you know want to and and to go and do a show where you open you know when i open for a hero of mine like a like um doug stanhope or something like that and there's 900 people i don't think like oh god i'm not good at, you know i go like yeah i want to fucking go kick ass out there and make it hard on him you know, like, or, you know, you always want to steal the show, I think, to some degree. So, or who, you should want to. Who were your first heroes? I mean, Eddie Murphy and Richard Pryor when I was young, and then Red Fox, because I watched, like, old black guy television. I liked uh, Sanford and Son, and then because of that, uh, my parents had HBO. We'd always rent VHSs, and I, I was drawn to stand-up. And I, and I remember watching... Eddie Murphy Raw. Eddie Murphy Raw was like profound for me. I was, I think I watched it when I was 12, I think 11. Ed, I think Eddie Murphy Raw was profound for anybody who saw it. I think so too. It it's, was. It's groundbreaking even today. Yeah. It, it's like the Beatles for comedy. I mean, he, yeah. you add every aspect of being a stand up. You know, it's, you know, fucking good jokes. The first guy who's like really handsome, who also is really funny. I mean, he, he had that rock star quality, but also wrote really good jokes. It's just funny. For sure, that was a big deal. And then Stephen Wright was a big thing. Um, you know, there's different eras in your life, right? So all the 70s SNL guys were huge because they were in movies when I was 10 and whatever. But then, you know, I'd say the, the people who really like shape you or make you really want to get into stand-up, like Mitch Hedberg is a huge one for me, even though my stand-up is nothing like his. He really, um, I'd say my real stand-up journey was I read, I was like 17 and I was starting to, I wanted to be a stand-up since I was seven years old. I don't know. I, I had that idea extremely early. I remember seeing a stand-up on TV. Don't remember what he said. Don't remember anything. Just going like, Like that's wow, what I want to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At seven. Yeah, very, very early. Always. Were, were my you whole funny life. then? Like, no, were you telling lots very of jokes painfully then? shy. Painfully shy, but an egomaniac already, probably, or something. I don't know what would make me think that. <laughs> you don't remember I can what you be were funny. thinking when you were seven? Come on, man. No. <laughs> And uh, I wanted to be funny. I could be funny with my friends, my little group of friends, but I couldn't do it publicly. When I started stand-up, I had to 
like I did it my first time and like I could lay in bed thinking about signing up for open mic and my heart would start thumping through my chest two weeks early to where I'd, like I'd writhe in bed like oh god think of something else I can't even handle the idea of doing stand up and then when I started doing it I had to sit on a stool for for the first six months because I was too like my leg would shake when I'd stand up so I had huge stage fright is that something you could have used to your advantage no, I mean, you just look like shit. I don't you're know. Like, you could maybe, I mean, you could come up with one joke about it, but then when your leg keeps shaking, you, then it just you can looks... Only, the shaky leg can only take you so far. Exactly. Elvis did pretty well with it. You can think that's a good joke for people who know Elvis. Do you have a lot of people who are... Do you have a lot of 65-year-old women who listen to this show? No, but I got a lot of people with YouTube. You can YouTube some Elvis. He did a thing where he'd shake his leg. Whatever. All right. But, but on that... I'm really like, funny. Trust me. Do you wish you could have done stand-up back in, like, the 70s? It seems like a different world, like... For back sure. In the, and even, like, even the 90s, like, when Jeff Foxworthy was doing it, before he started, like, dressing up in golden suits for Golden Corral. But, yes. like, it seems like that was just a completely different world I than think today. This is what I think of when you talk about eras. And, of course, it's impossible to say how you would have done it or whatever. But if there's one thing that I that I think is true is that... With more of a history of stand-up and more of a thing, those, the guys who did stand-up in the 70s or 60s or even 80s, like when the real boom happened before comics flooded the market like they are now, it's, they all got to be first to ideas. Yeah. If there's any bit I have, it's like you have to you know, think so – there's so much comedy history behind us and so many people have done so many topics. The pressure to – dig deeper with what you have to do and whatever i think it's very good and rewarding but there's some times where you just go like yeah that would have been nice to you know to go up and be like god my wife's a bitch and have everyone <laughs> just start laughing like i can't believe you oh my god i think my wife's a bitch but i've never heard anyone fucking say that before that'd be such a great luxury you know but old comics always go like oh these kids today like they definitely say that it's, you know, everyone knows the market is flooded and there's a ton of outlets and stuff. And people will go like, you know, that it's maybe more of a meritocracy and all that stuff. But I don't know if I believe that because you also get comics who are just with the gatekeeper system, how it used to be. Of course, there's problems with that as well. Nothing's perfect, but you kind of go, yeah, but if you're really, really funny, you know, they'll let you through. Whereas you can be fucking hilarious in this day and age and it doesn't matter because there's so much noise and there's so much and then there's even a big thing you know the weirdest thing in comedy i'll never understand this but okay i probably do understand it but comedy clubs have a big onus when you're starting out and you're unknown guys who are clean and really funny will move up way faster than a guy who's dirty and really funny really oh i would have thought that was the other way around no question, not even close. I mean, if you can write, um, like, if you know local comedy, for instance, and guys who are super funny, I'm not taking any, uh, Isaac Witte, one of my favorite comics, clean as a whistle, also a rapist. No, I just want to, he's a friend. <laughs> Sorry, um, he's not, never committed the ultimate sin. He is really funny, quirky, whatever. Those people just, because as a club owner, you look at it and go like, you know, he's funny, let's say on a scale of 10. They're both eights. Well, this guy's really dirty in an eight. Like, fuck him, because he might offend, you know, even if it's 10 people. 
if 10 people get mad at me and walk out, and Tevin's a GM for a comedy club, right? I mean, you oh, hear shit every yeah. show. And I think just overall, because more people come looking for that. I feel like being a clean comedy comedian is now more of like a niche type of thing. And they'll be like, oh, is he clean? Because we'd rather have him for corporate events or yes, corporate, s- that's certain a shows and where there's more money. And if you have, maybe not clean all the time, but you have that option to be do an hour of clean material. Oh, yeah. and, and it's, um, I mean, this is the big problem with comedy. I think the biggest problem is comedy is the only art form where people just say like, I want to go see some comedy tonight. Not what kind, not what, whereas with music, they don't go, I want to go see some rock and roll tonight. Let's go watch a rock and roll band. Like, or really what it is is they don't say, let's go watch music tonight. You know, there, it could be jazz, rock and roll, whatever. And then you get there and go, I fucking hate jazz. What are we doing here? <laughs> whereas that's what they do with comedy every fucking night. No one goes and looks at who's going to be there. They just, it's comedy. They'll make me laugh no matter what. The audience thinks it's our job to just... <laughs> make everyone laugh constantly see when when my wife and i go and see comedy like we'll youtube the comic first i think people watch the one clip on the comedy website often which i know when it's me we send the most safe middle of the road clip i got you know because you're just that's what everyone wants as far as the as far as the um club ownership because it's just you don't want to risk those walkouts and those angry things but what it takes some vision and some balls to go, you know, like, okay, let's say this guy's a nine and he's dirty versus this guy that's an eight. There are people who might go and click or resonate with that even harder and be more apt to come back again. You know, it's just there, yeah. there's so many variables there that it, you can't blame anyone when it's their money and their family on the line that you just take the safe road. So that's why you have to start podcasts to try to get an audience outside of comedy clubs that will kind of come see you so that, you know, you can present that to club owners. So, so how did you and Tevin meet? Tevin is the GM of what I consider my home club, House of Comedy. Yeah, so just, yeah, through there, working together, and we actually gave, brought the podcast idea. We were renovating one of the rooms in the back of the House of Comedy one day, listening to a podcast of uh, Barry Katz, and we just kind of started talking about working together, and he had mentioned this podcast idea. House of Comedy, is that uh, uh, It's in the Mall Bronson's. of America. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yeah, so just working through there, and uh, Gabe's one of my favorite local comedians. Um, you can say national, Tevin. You don't have to. No, I mean, we'll keep it local. You're not <laughs> okay. quite national yet, right. but we'll get you there. Um, right. yeah, no, he, was on, he was on the Minnesota Skinny. He's global now. <laughs> That's right. That is true. I know I'm pretty big in Paraguay. We have one. Yeah. We have one <laughs> rabid podcast fan uh, in Paraguay. Also, the UAE, we have some more podcast fans really? out there. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> so, yeah. And I didn't. I didn't remember bringing it up to you there. That's interesting. I did. Tevin is a really sharp, sharp guy. In addition to being good looking, half black, half white, generic face. But um, yeah. But <laughs> and I. I just thought he should be a club man, like a manager of comics and stuff like that. He just. He's good at that. I don't know. Comics really like him. Everyone who comes to town really likes Tevin. He's so do you do a lot of like talent evaluation or how, how does the, the selection process work? We have a, another local comedian that actually books the club, but I'll give him notes on who comes in and like, hey, this person probably shouldn't come back here ever again or this person's really funny. <laughs> them more ever time. again. <laughs> I don't even care if they improve themselves. No. Never let's, let's again off, off that one performance. No, but I mean, yeah, it's, and just naturally now being in comedy, which 
I never thought of myself as being a con- comedy like expert or anything like that, but just over the years, dissecting what makes people funny is really fun to me. I came from a sports background. Um, yeah, what sport? Kind of, yeah, uh, football. Football? Okay. What yep. position? Wide receiver. Tell me your stats, Devin. I don't know the stats off the top of my head. No. Wow. Um, but yeah, so like watching football, it's all very analytical and breaking things down. So that's what I kind of started doing with comedy. And it, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see comedians go on stage and craft jokes because it is a craft and everything is calculated for why they're saying it. And also, it's amazing just as an outside, like to stand up, you'd see a server start. Just anyone watching a ton of comedy, how much your taste just radically changes because you know we get a new server at house of comedy and they just like like everyone's so funny it's just (laughs) this is so great and they like where you're like this guy's a fucking hack like this is bullshit (laughs) and then that same server a year later is just yeah this guy's a fucking hack like they just get desensitized and but it's good that's like that's taste you know when you're new to it every one of those tricks and things you're just blown away by and and you get you know tevin's probably put in his reps to a <laughs> to a pretty ridiculous degree it's watched a lot speaking of reps and watching a lot of comedy have you ever thought about giving it a go like going up on stage i actually went on stage once we had a holiday party um like two christmases ago on christmas eve and so a bunch of the staff wanted to go on stage and i was telling them that i was funnier than them so i went on stage as well <laughs> see it's like and, doing. and luckily uh one of my friends that worked there with me he packed we packed the room with like 200 of pretty much all of our show. friends yeah and so i went on there and was able to tell more of some inside jokes and people just laugh because it was me being a goofball but no i leave it to the professionals i'm not gonna go up there ever again although it was quite an adrenaline but he's good he's uh I don't know if you've listened to our podcast, but he yeah, is no he uh about once a podcast he rings in from the cheap sheets or from the cheap seats with <laughs> one with one really funny comment. Yeah. There's one where my wife goes, That was the funniest thing maybe I've heard in the podcast. <laughs> like his one fucking comment. Yep. I've tried to th- I've thrown three hundred jokes at this thing, but Tevin's Quali- five. Quality, yeah, quality, I guess quality so. not quantity. I guess so. So how did this come together? Like when I first heard about this podcast, the first thing I thought about was I, I can't believe this hasn't been done. That's sort of what I thought too when I thought of it. Like, oh, someone must be kind of doing this. And even worse yet is I've had the idea for three, four years. Like it's been one of those ideas. And as anyone in uh, performance, the arts, like I'm sure you have, you know, you always have your ideas in your head and they all kind of prioritize themselves. Well, this is one of those ideas that's just stayed in the top three for years. What were the and, other ones? You know, there's stuff with doing... Show, why'd you put me on the spot with that? I do. I haven't written down in my notebook, but... <laughs> this is actually the only good idea. This is the only good idea I've ever had. <laughs> I can't believe I'm not better on the spot with this, but let's just focus on this idea. <laughs> really, I'm fucking totally blank on it, but there are... I just remember it stayed... It was always like the number three idea. And then there was a certain point where you go, um, where I started saying it to other people because I thought podcasts were completely done in a way. You know, like like just you go, everyone's doing a podcast. My appetite to do one was very low. And I started mentioning it to comics that I respect. Like um, I'll do some name dropping here, like Tim Harmston, Isaac Witte, you know, friends of mine, but they've been in the business longer. They're more cynical type guys. And then when they turn and go like, that's a good fucking idea. Like, you should do that. It kind of did push me over where I'm like, yeah, I should. And then I had uh, I had my son 
16 months ago. And so I had to go off the road. You know, you can't be on the road three weeks a month and be a good father. So I decided that I'll take a part-time job. I work three days a week at at a furniture store. <laughs> and then I'd, I'd, I'd launch this. So I'm like, I'll kind of refocus. You know, I'm still doing stand-up. This is just not going on the road as much. And, um, and I really, I think it was... 100% the best thing that I could have done. How far on the road have you gone? Mexico, um, Acomal, Mexico, which is on the, like, near Cancun. Edmonton, Canada would be up there. New York, Asheville, North Carolina, kind of bit, you know, around. You definitely stay in the Midwest more, like, I'd say 12 hours. Like, within 12 hours by car is kind of like the normal regional comic, you know, route. Yeah. And now, you know, and but now I'm, you know, huge fucking star. I'll probably go take the Concord <laughs> privately. No. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of how it works. You from around here originally? I'm from Detroit Lakes, Minnesota, kind of okay. northwest, like up near Fargo. What, what was your dream club locally? The one that, like, you just couldn't wait to oh, on stage at? when I started, it was Acme Comedy Club, without question, which, because it, when I started, it was the only, well, there was Acme Comedy Club and the Joke Joint comedy club and joke joints you know very small at the time it's a you know it was a mom and pop place starting yeah. up at the time now it's way more established very great club but um acme has always been the brass ring in this town when it started and i tried out there for a long time and it's a long story but they're extremely good to me but i'm not a regular i'm not like in the stable um some might say that I'm a little too dirty for the the normal, you know, not You're that their headliners are not, but they weren't hiring guys like me as people to develop. And then Rick Bronson came to town, and just the first day he saw me at an audition there and walks up, and he's like, you're my guy. You're my guy. You're going to be, you know, you can come and, you know, work at my club anytime you want. And he should, you know, he was just so fucking good to me that it was like, well, I'll definitely follow him. And then all of a sudden he builds this extremely nice, you know, it's a a 340 seat club or whatever and he was so great to me and i still love acme they give me time whenever i go there they're you know but it's just um they pick regulars who are there like all the time and i'm not yeah. in that stable tell them about your first time performing there first time performing oh well remember i had the stage fright thing right the leg, so yeah. so yep so i took a whole bunch of this is my reaction to stress is i take chemicals which is probably why I ended up a heroin addict when I was 24 years old, whatever it was. Um, but at this time, I was just all like, you know, nervous and excited. You want to do it? So I took a whole bunch of Xenadrine. Remember Xenadrine, the workout thing? Vaguely. Like, uh, I think uh, Mark Mark McGuire used to pl use it to hit home runs or That's Andro, steroids. something like that. No, it wasn't Andro, a steroid. Andro. It was like something you got at GNC. You took four of them to work out, and you'd be like a little bit energized. Or I whatever. think it was Andro. Like the Andro 400? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah, they're like brown, big caplet pills. So I took a bunch of those so I'd get energy because, God, I didn't want to be tired on stage. And I drank a bunch of beer, and then I went up on stage. All I remember is a bright light in my face and the microphone, and I said a bunch of probably pretty shitty jokes into it. And I think I got one or two pops of laughter and I'd convinced myself that that was a really good set. <laughs> no, I, it was I, like, I walked off like, I think what most comics do is you walk off going like, like, I know that was bad, but it's so intoxicating to even 
even to have like to make a hundred people laugh at once to one of your jokes is so I don't know empowering in a way. You just that never happened in my life. You write these jokes, you have an idea of what you think is funny, where you expect them to laugh, but you know it doesn't happen four or five times in your set, and then it happens once. It's like oh yes, that is what I wanted. This is you know great, and that just that's enough to put hooks in you. What happens backstage? What happens backstage? Fucking sucking, you know the drill. Um, I don't know the drill, that's no. why I'm asking. No, we're comics. So you sit there and people have diarrhea because they're nervous. They <laughs> talk and overcompensate and, you know, with, okay. To who? Who are you talking to? Like, if they're you better, so you definitely talk, talk to the other comics, but everyone has different approaches. I need to shut down a little bit. Like if I'm really going to do a good show that I care about or whatever, uh, like a paid show basically, I need to sit and be quiet for 20 minutes and think and go through my stuff in my head. I'm not, you know, I'll write a general outline of kind of the ideas I want to hit, but I don't, it's not a script. I change it all the time and try to be as loose as possible. And then there's other comics. God, there's a guy, John Conroy, who is from town here. I think Isaac Witte falls into this category where they can be turning and talking to you like as their name is being called. Talking to you about, oh, yeah, the twins are on there, down by one, and then it, and then their name's called, and then they keep talking to you as they're going up to the stage, kind of. And it's like, that's not me. I couldn't do that in a million years. I need to be in my head a little bit because if I'm distracted, you, I'm just not – I don't have a good brain. I've heard, granted, just from locals that Acme and, and the House of Comedy, too, are some of the nicer clubs. For sure. Mm-hmm. What's, what's the nastiest one you've, you've been at? Oh, well, nastiest. Holy shit. Where do we go for that? I mean, I've done a ton of them. I mean, I've done backyards, garages. What is the nastiest club? I should have a quick one. I mean, I know there's a place in North Dakota that a bunch of comics have done where the stage, they would bring out like eight cases of beer and you'd stand on the cases of beer for your stage. No, I'm not kidding. (laughs) Um, That actually sounds kind of awesome. And then sleep in the mop closet. What? The, the At the end of it, I didn't do this. One of my friends did. I, I said, no, I'll go rent a hotel. <laughs> he, they were, whatever, broke at the time. Because you do, that's that's one thing. Also, you get sent you out on the nasty road. places. Oh, I've been put up in, I mean, murder hotels. Just con- I was in a Motel 6, they put me in, that they removed one of the beds. So, you know, like, you've been in a hotel where there's two queen beds, right? Well, just imagine one of them gone, and you see a white square where it's supposed to be on the on on the carpet, and it's just I'm telling you, it is so unsettling to sit in there and go, why would they remove the bed? Like, what happened that this bed can no longer be? Someone it, died. To eat, of someone died. And then you sit there. and Someone go, either died or someone was born. Right. No, they died. No one's fucking born in that hotel. <laughs> I hope you not. wouldn't start your kid off with that. They'd rather be born in <laughs> right. jail. You yeah. wouldn't. <laughs> But yeah, so yeah, the 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 place had them sleep in a mop closet. Um, they said, "Where's the hotel?" And I said, "No, you just stay here." And they said, "Where?" And they had like a utility closet where the mop was, and they had uh, sleeping bags and pads, what? and they slept in there. Yeah, and they did it. May, may I I've ask, slept in my car many times. May I ask how much you get paid? I would love is, to talk about the still... pay structure for comedians because you guys would just laugh your fucking asses off. It'll be the funniest part of the podcast. We're in the only business on the planet that the wage 
is exactly the same as it was in 1978. In fact, I've heard that it's gone down because at first there was less comics, so they'd had to pay a little more. Now everybody's so, a comic. Uh, pretty much. Put out a fucking YouTube video and... Pretty much. There are so many people I meet who say, like, where they'll say something about how they do comedy. And I'll go, really? Where, you know, where do you do it? And I'll say, Minneapolis. I'll say, are you good? Oh, yeah. And I'll say, what's your name? Because <laughs> I've never heard of you. And I do comedy every, you know, I've been doing it here 10 years. And, I never, and what you learn is people decide they're comedians. Like, I haven't done it yet, but I'm gonna. So I'm a comedian. Or <laughs> I've done it once or even three times the last year. I'm a comedian, same as you. You know, you, that is very common. So sorry, what, what were we talking about? Pay scale. Pay scale, yes. So the way it works for most comedy um, shows is you have three comics. You have the MC, who the host, a feature or middle act, and then the headliner. In America, we usually make the comics get better as you go. So, so the MC will usually be very green. You know, someone who's been doing it one to like one to three years, maybe. And they're usually getting, I'm going to say, $50 per show. So if you go for a weekend of four shows, yeah, they'll give you 200 bucks. I'd say that's, you know, so you do two shows Friday, two Saturday, and go home. You'll get $200. You have to pay for your drinks. Maybe get one free. You usually don't get put up in a hotel room for that. So there goes your money for, for that. And then you drove there for, you know, two, three hours. So you lose money. So when, you know, when you go to shows and you see those guys... Keep in mind, he probably lost money to get here. So when you heckle him or, like, are talking during his set, it's just sort of, uh, in fact, when I think of it this way, it's profoundly fucking depressing. And then the feature act is the first place you can be where you can kind of do it for a living. A little bit. I'm saying you can survive. So as a feature, when you do a, let's just say the average club week is going to be one show Thursday night, two Friday, two Saturday, and then home. So you drove your four hours to get there. And that feature for the five shows will get four hundred dollars, four to five hundred dollars. That's on the good end. For the weekend, or just for the show? weekend? Oh yeah, for the weekend, five hundred for the weekend. What the guys do to stay on the road or make money or to survive, I should say, is they'll sell merchandise. So after the show, you have your T-shirt that calls back to the your one joke, and then people give you twenty dollars per T-shirt, half of them out of pity, and. That's, you know, I mean, there's there's some comics who do that, Mike Brody, who do that very well, <laughs> who sell a ton of, he's like a fucking, you know, uh, whatever, he's got a catalog with all his merch in it. And, you know, I've seen guys make an extra $1,000, you know, for the weekend or something like that, doing that. Wow. So that can make it, but they don't do that all the time. Your average feature comic on the road is fucking struggling and is making, you know, their... $12,000 a year, you know, and they almost always have a part-time job or sell pot. Mostly sell pot, I would say. And then headliner. So I don't mind saying this because it's not certainly bragging. So as headliners, you are either um, a draw and you your name brings people in or you're like me where you go, you know, if I do a show in Minneapolis like to record my album, I think I... I drew probably 300 people throughout the weekend. But that's a 
friends, family, whatever. I don't know. What do you think, Kevin? I think you drew more. You talk about when you did it for Christmas. Sure. Yeah, I guess I was meaning more like a one-show thing. Even if it's friends, family, that's still people. Yeah, I think when you came in headline the House of Comedy, we probably had at least two shows of at least 150 people, and then the other ones were all in the right around the 100 range. So Okay. Yeah, it was a good weekend. And usually local comedians. I know you said it was much more more than the normal thing, right? But yeah. But so, I mean, okay, if I put on one show one night here on my name, I do think I get 200 people pretty, you know, and that's good. You know, you're selling 15 bucks each. It's a real show. Now I'm to the point where you finally have some people who know you who I don't know who the fuck they are. That's whatever a good thing. But ultimately, that's not enough for a club owner to go like, I mean, if you could guarantee that extra 150, that'd be fucking amazing, actually. Mm-hmm. But you have your start out baby headliners. So like I'll headline 4th of July weekend. If it's a really good club. I'll headline the crappier weeks, basically, because they're trying you out. You don't draw enough people to whatever, and then you have the guys who make a shitload of money. Just to show you the range, when I go out on a weekend, at this point, I expect, like, if it's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, 1200 bucks. That's, like the, like, the minimum that I'd expect. Have I done it for less? <laughs> yes. Have I, you know, but, you know, you've also made, you can make quite a bit more. You can make 1200 for one night. And then on the flip side... I have been at certain clubs picking up paychecks and the headlining club who I worked around. So now I'm at the level where you'll work with comics who are famous. And so I'll, I'll like open for them. And there was a check for Tom Green. I can say Tom Green. I don't give a shit. I won't say where. <laughs> but it was Tom Green. How long ago was this? Oh, this was a, long, a while ago. Oh, okay. He's still Probably Tom like, Green. Like seven years ago, something like that. Okay. Five years ago. Okay. So this was five years ago. So he was still Tom Green. Yeah, but he was still well past, well he's past Tom prime. Green. He's even still I bet Tom he's... Green now because he's been, I've seen him a couple times at different venues. And he I don't even remember like his prime. His prime was like late night, like uh, was it 2000. Late already? What, cause what was the movie? What was the movie? Freddy that Got Fingered? Figured, yeah, and he's, people See, still feel... come out because of that. Really? really? I feel he, like it's because his MTV I show thought that was what that. killed him. Yeah, I think that was a bad... Or, well, yeah, but even like people come out and right. want some sausage. I want to say he sells sausage shirts. No shit. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, when I was there waiting to get my check for $150 for the night for, in essence, doing the same job, he did comedy for 45 minutes. I did comedy for, you know, whatever. I know we're totally different. As I, he, they handed me my check, I noticed his check sitting on the counter, and he had left it there. Because he forgot it. Because essentially that money is not super important to him. He didn't need it bad enough. He forgot. His check was $30,000. Whoa. And that's for five shows. Yeah. And that's four like, shows. And that's probably, four shows. Yeah. Probably and that's probably on par for what at the House of Comedy the upper checks are for. Upper uh, checks would yeah, be. Yeah. Thursday, like three right. days worth of work is the $30,000. that would be like if you're an A-list. Right. You're someone you who example. sells tickets. So anybody with – because it's all about credits. So if you walk by, if you're somebody like – Rob Schneider, for example, or anybody that could really be doing theaters and opening for people that are doing stadiums. But they could... can't do theaters because they wouldn't be doing it. It's, right? So essentially, it's, it's either like, because the way comedy works, is, especially comedy clubs, is we're either bringing in people that are going to be young comedians. Like we had Jermaine Fowler, who's now got a show on CBS. We had him before he blew up. But yeah. we knew, okay, he's on to something. Let's bring him in because he's funny and he's on the rise. Or you're bringing in guys that are past their prime but still going to draw. Like we had a Dave Coulier in once who Full House isn't on TV anymore. He's not really in front of people, but people know him from You know what he's Full got House. right now? There's a comedian who does a Tumblr site. Was it uh, the same picture of Dave Coulier, everyday.tumblr.com? 
Huge oh, website. Oh, I don't know that. It's the same picture of Dave Coulier every day. How about, how about this as an example? This is the most selling out I've ever heard in a comedy club. Piff. Piff, Piff yeah. the Magic Dragon. Piff the Magic Dragon from, from America's Got Talent sells out. He's in Edmonton. He sold out like 14 shows in seven days I've never even over heard the of course this. of a week. Exactly. It's a grown man that dresses in a dragon costume and does magic and tells jokes. I don't mind saying publicly. I think he sucks donkey dicks. And I think comedically. That's, and I was going to say that probably pisses comedians off the most is when they see people like Steve O, who is funny because he's on yep. TV and jackass for and sure. great at what he does, but will call himself a comedian and then go on the road and people are like, "Oh, this is a great stand-up set." When there's really no stand-up to it, or like Piff, where he's just doing an act on stage and it's not stand-up. For sure, for sure. There's a lot of that in comedy. People who kind of made their got a little famous or got real famous and maybe are sort of funny who kind of make themselves a stand-up act because they, they can go out on the road and make 30 grand per weekend that's just a you know huge amount of money and they make probably they probably make just as much in merch like the fattest right. stack of cash i've ever seen in my life was steve-o selling merchandise in edmonton canada and because he has so much merch and he just it took him like two hours like as much money. as mike brody Almost as much wow. as my Brody. <laughs> so how, how did you get into a position where you could see the money that Steve-O had in Edmonton? Because uh, so, after the show, we set up all their merch for them, and we were, were very hands-on with the comedians, make sure they're all taken care of. Let's rewind a little bit more. Did you used to work in Edmonton? Uh, no, I was up there for just a little while training and hanging out. And oh, gotcha. Because okay. House of Comedy has clubs all over the nation. Oh. And so Steve-O had, was selling merch for like two and a half hours after the show and he had exchanged all his Canadian money for American money so he had to count it there but he came down with this heat just an ungodly amount of cash on hand I can't even remember what the dollar amount was but I remember I looked at it and was like and I want to say he gives all of it to or like a certain percentage of it to the guy that opens or helps him out on the road and sells it with him but yeah anyway it was just this ungodly amount of cash and my jaw hit the floor I was like he could probably make a living off of just selling his shirts and not doing comedy. That's what the big guys do too, because you go, um, you go kind of insane being on the road. Um, at least when you're by yourself. I think I did. I think the most I ever did in a row where I was gone out of my house. In fact, I think I did. It was like five or six weeks straight. But I was, you know, I still got to come home and touch base for like two days and then go. But yeah. I had one two week stretch where I was gone, and it just happened to be like working with terrible comics in shitty rooms in and just when i mean terrible i mean you don't get along with them you don't think they're funny it's just whatever shitty rooms do you mean like the stage or do you mean like you're in a hotel room shitty oh i mean the stage actually but when this when the stage is shitty or the room you're performing is shitty the hotel's never nice you okay. never go from <laughs> yeah, a shithole bar and then they put you up at the whatever <laughs> the concourse hotel so yeah um and you, it's Super depressing. And I, I mean in a very real crushing way because you're isolated and alone. and You know, whatever. It's not healthy. So when guys get really popular, a big thing to do is to have one of your friends kind of come on as your merch guy or just someone you like and you pay them. It's kind of like paying a friend assistant. It's just going to say. For real, yeah. <laughs> and, and I don't blame them and I would love to get there. All right, and then they also are handling the stuff that you don't necessarily. You'd rather want be to, making right? that connection with the people that just saw your show and hey, thanks for coming out, taking pictures. But I still want this guy over here selling my shirts so we can make extra right. money on the road. 
So I'm going to hop back to the podcast really quick. Yeah. I was listening to the one with uh, Amanda Wildfire. God damn it. <laughs> Tevin, you got to quit pinning of that one. Of course I was. I'm sorry. I hate of course that one. I was going to bring that you one. You hate that one. I, hate I, I told you that from day oh, one. Oh, I've always hated that one. Because I sound awful. Because it's it was uh, – so, okay, we're learning to do this podcast the same as any other thing you learn to do, right? Yep. And I knew that, that we – that we'd suck essentially to start with. So we, you know, Tevin and I made the decision to record these for six months and save them up and you know, kind of learn. Yeah, as you mentioned we go. talking about in the snow. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we we did these. I mean, a long time recording them. I, this I is mean, kind of weird to me because this is going to come out like Thursday. Right. And the reason we did it is, you know, first of all, we knew that for us to hunt guests down is going to be a little bit taller of an order. So we want to have a little pad and i wanted to be able to you know you only get to be new once so you either use that heat of being new and try to really burst on the scene or you decide look i'm just gonna start doing it quietly and try to build an audience as i go the healthy way well i've been doing this a little while and it's kind of one of those things like i think for how this idea was and all that whatever i made the decision to try to do a bigger opening so we wanted to be good, and I wanted to have the ducks in a row. And what we found out is once I listened to all of them after six months, we had, whatever, 15 to 20 of them, um, that I'm fucking horrible. And that all these run-on questions, run-on, two-part things, interrupting, all the shit I've been doing on this show. And you can't fix it. And one of the things with that podcast in particular is I was the one at that point booking the guests. And you're reaching out to people you've never met before or finding them however you do it, through contacts, through friends. And then they hear you're a comedian, they watch your comedy, and they're like, you're just going to make fun of me. You're just bringing me on to, like, humiliate me or something. And I had to convince them, no, you know, not at all. I Like, I'm genuinely interested. And so you're in this weird position where I had been sort of defending, like, no, 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 you're going to love it. It's You know, it's going to be great. And then when we got there to the podcast, she was kind of had a different idea about what we wanted from her. She thought we wanted her to be in character the whole time, whereas the truth is we wanted her to be real, you know, about what her job is. And there was some friction, and I felt like I was in a weird position where I can't say the things I wanted to say. Like, no, 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 stop being fake. <laughs> you know, we don't, we don't want to hear that because I have to be nice. So you're kind of like, hammed, like one hand tied behind your back a little bit. So it had a very strange vibe. Yeah. But it's a good show. People really like it. I mean, I know that it's uh, well-received. It's got the craziest story of any podcast, maybe. Oh, by far. You think so? By far? There, I getting, think the one, There's nothing crazier than that we've talked about. I think the one this week coming up is going to be pretty, like, profound, at least as far as... Yeah, I think this the heroin one will be overall our best episode. Yeah, but as far talking as about one a crucifixion, one-off story, one story yeah. nothing makes you jaw drop. Like she crucified a guy for fifteen thousand dollars, nailed yeah. him to a f- cross. Nailed him. Yeah, she. I nailed, didn't get that far into it. Like I didn't. She just, straight up nailed a guy. She yeah. found a guy. Yeah, nailed him and <laughs> like and had sex with him. No, she didn't have um, sex. With no, him. I know that. I was a joke. <laughs> but um, he wanted to. He liked her. Wanted her to do it to him. She built a cross in like in her whatever like uh, on, facility. Yeah, it was on the like first floor, and she. He made her build it, carry it and up three flights just of like, stairs. Like like Jesus. Except it wasn't like Jesus. It was a Roman crucifixion, right? That's yep. what she kept saying. Yeah, it wasn't biblical. Yep. And he brought special stainless steel nails. That he sharpened. That he sharpened. And he knew where to place them on his hand so it wouldn't break bone and in and his feet. 
and that was because he had been doing it to himself mm-hmm. from a very young age. I think she said like 13 was when he yep. had been doing it to himself. Well, I guess if you've been doing it to yourself, you probably don't even feel it anymore. I guess so. I, I think don't he's know. still. I think he she said there was a lot a of blood. <laughs> <laughs> she said there was a ton of blood or something. Yeah. So yeah. Well, I guess I, he's used to it. It's not. Yeah, it wasn't the first shocking. time screaming. Yeah. The big thing that we're getting a lot better at with our podcast than before is, first of all, you just become a better broadcaster, learn to ask more direct questions and preparedness, all that stuff. But the other thing for us is, you know, we're sitting in a room with someone we've never met. You're asking them about extremely uh, personal, dark stuff, just as the nature of our podcast is. And it seems like it always took us 15, 20 minutes, you know, kind of for the podcast to get good. And I'd ask people if we should edit it out, and they go like, "No, we feel like you need to hear that to, you know, to get drawn into it and interested." But that's one thing with those early podcasts where I'd say, the last half an hour of all of them is the whole thing. So if you listen to the first fifteen minutes and quit, or twenty minutes and quit, you missed essentially the whole thing. And um, now we're a little bit better at, you know, you have your little tricks or methods to ask something up front to get a little splash going and. You know, there's just things you get better at. And then even just whereas when we first did it, because it was new to us, it was new to the people that we had in, and so it was a more elaborate, long time frame of us getting to know them, where now it's like, okay, we kind of know how to weasel our way in to make sure that we cover the bases right away. For sure. So it's not this, rather than 45 or 40 minutes of getting to know them, it's, well, now it's 10, 15, while still being interesting as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, and it's... Um, our first podcasts were extremely well received. We did so much better. Yeah, it was the, the first... crime scene cleaner. What's that? that yeah, was the crime scene cleaner, which is actually not the first one that we recorded. The first one that we re- recorded is the bank robber one, the guy okay. who robbed eleven banks, and that one had its own thing. Tevin <laughs> became a master editor on that one. Um, that one was rough. There's a ton of ton of edits in it for various reasons, but um, we I don't I don't know. It's it's we knew there. People really like the shows. We've done incredibly well. It's the first thing that where Tevin sent me the first subscriber numbers or something where, you know, I've lost in everything in my life just about. So this is the first thing where you get to say, like, no, 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 that can't be right. Those numbers can't be right. Yeah, yeah, like, check it again. We're, you know, we're not doing that well. And then, you know, it was. So it's great. But to me, when I listen back to him, it's like, oh, you're fucking horrible, Gabe. You're so <laughs> annoying. And, you know, so to anyone who wants to try our show, I'd really like them to start, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I, I, I should, probably shouldn't even say this, but whatever. Like uh, the start at maybe the paramedic one in that range or, or the heroin addict one you're about yeah. to. Yep. But, but then at the same time, when we say something like that, the first ones we put out, like he said, the crime scene, mm-hmm. I think Jace and the Colleen episode. We still get people that will tweet at us and oh, whatever else about, right. I love this episode. I've listened to it three times. Yep. My my personal favorite is the Housewife one, episode three, which is the least sexy, you know, title or whatever. But she's a, uh, she's a super funny stand-up comic from town named Colleen Justice, and she has a deformed and and developmentally disabled son. And, like, she had to pick out a coffin for him when she was eight months pregnant because they didn't think he was going to make it. I mean, just she had this incredibly intense thing she went through. And But she's a comic, so she's super funny, and we really make a whole bunch of super inappropriate jokes, and it was a really, really fun one. I mean, to me, 
that was our best one at that point. How far are you guys planned out for these? Like, do you do you worry that you're going to reach a point where where you guys are sitting at a table and like, well, what's left? Maybe in a few years, five years, but no, not really. I think you keep climbing and like, okay, we had a drug dealer, our first one who was, he's um, a member of the Crips gang. He is actively a drug dealer. Um, showed me, took me to his car and showed me half a brick of cocaine that he said cost about $15,000. I mean, you know, he's pretty big time. Once we got known and your word spread, we have this heroin dealer coming in this week that he was, he's made $100,000. Or, you know, he had $100,000 cash. You know, so you think there's many levels above this. I would love to get to a point where we can really you are, bring you're gonna in. Have, you're going to have drug dealers coming in like, yeah, well, I've made a million. And, I, and I'm glad to hear it, you know, and just with all that stuff. And there's so many jobs. They don't all have to be criminal things at all either. Like we have one coming up that is for me as my personal most interesting thing. And I got to be um, – she. I'm going to be just vague with this, but she is a therapist for – rapists and child molesters in the prison system and she's from the west coast but it's like has roots here so it's coming back and um it's uh incredibly intense i mean think she's had the worst people in the world tell her her their honest stuff like their real thoughts that they've never had courage to say to other people just some of the stories we talked about are just like mind-blowing so that's not a she's not a criminal but she works with those people and you know, there's there's just so many jobs like that. Is it difficult to get these people to tell these stories, or are mm-hmm. they just open with them? No, it, it is difficult. And How do you do it? Um, I'll usually reach out to them. I ask, you know, what people always ask that, how we find the people. And, of course, some are starting to come to us now, which is mm-hmm. great. Anyone listening, if you have a friend that's got a really interesting job, please reach out to us. We're, we're always looking, and we protect identities. That's like the first and foremost thing. We will go to any length pretty much to make sure no one knows who you are. And we make sure that we let them after the podcast, if they go, ooh, I shouldn't have said that thing, we, you know, we'll definitely go back in and edit stuff for them, whatever. But yeah, it, no, I, I'm not that worried. You know, I, I really put it this way. If we get far enough that we start running out of gas, we're in a, such a great position. We haven't even done military stuff yet. I know True. how many guys around here have are special forces with some amazing stories. I would love to hear those guys and yeah, military. We haven't had a beat cop on. For yeah, example. we want a North Minneapolis beat cop, like a veteran guy who's been you know in the rougher neighborhoods and um, what are things on our list? I mean, yeah, Kevin? even like know. things like prison guard, like judges, mm-hmm. or like any type of defense attorney, prison guard. Yeah, anything that's not a. St- Stereotypical, and even if you have a stereotypical job, if you have great, Could be we've, interesting. We've done episodes that haven't been released with like cameramen, where you wouldn't think that that's a job that would have great stories, but right. they actually had interesting stuff that they talked about. Yeah, people call that they're going to commit suicide, and then the cameras go over, and the guy shoots himself in the head in front of the news cameras. Holy shit! Because he wanted to wanted to give a message, you know, so he wanted to talk, and he doesn't know, of course, that no, it's never going to see the light of day. But they saw that. And first on scenes of accidents and stuff. It's, you know, I mean, I think the I think the paramedic one is a great example of. I know when we presented it, to, you know, we have a little ring of people who you go to for advice when you're starting, and almost everyone was not that interested in the paramedic one to listen to. But I would put the last forty five minutes of that one as like as good of podcasting as we've done. 
you know that that guy said he like he'd done it for 15 years he's been sitting next to he said over 100 people as they die you know and having oh, them man. tell their last words they want him to communicate their last words you know these guys make 60 grand a year to have that heavy shit come on you you know and um or they can't breathe so they're making that intense eye contact as they're, as they're dying you know that's takes a toll on your soul and that's um it's interesting to talk about that we go to our jobs and bitch about stuff and these i found that the people who work in these jobs that are so intense everyone i met seems to have the best sense of humor and seems to have a great disposition in general because you're not going to sweat the small shit when you watch someone lose their oh he had a he had a story about like a like a twelve year old boy dying in his ambulance, and the parents somehow got there before the police, so he had to be the one to let them in and see. I mean, it makes me choke up now. You know, it's just incredibly intense stuff. Um, yeah, and we, and we have guys that well, whether it's like government officials or paramedics and stuff, and then as they're saying. We'll ask them, oh, what was the first suicide you saw? And as they go, oh, my first suicide I saw? Yeah. Like, no, like, you wouldn't ever think somebody's laughing about a suicide, but these guys are able to shake it off and because it's, otherwise they wouldn't be able to function every day. Exactly. It's, it, and, and that's what I want to be clear, too, because I just made that sound really depressing. Through all this, and there are depressing moments, we're pretty much laughing on and off the whole time through it. You just can't, you know, you, you can't talk about it without that stuff because it would be so depressing. It would yeah. just be a sad podcast, which no one wants to do that. Well, gentlemen, I want to thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, before we wrap up, where can we find Profession Confession? Uh, we are online at professionconfession.com. Otherwise, Podbean, if you're trying to be on the show or have anybody that should be on the show or just want to tell us how great or bad we are, you can email us at info at professionconfession.com. Uh, we have submission forms on our website as well. Otherwise, Twitter at Gabe Noah Podcast, Facebook, Profession Confession. Um, yeah, we try to be everywhere. We also just started a YouTube channel where we have our best of moments and a few behind the scenes stuff. Whenever we're doing sound check, especially with the Dominatrix one, there's a lot of moaning and random sounds <laughs> that we'll probably put up there as well. Um, so, yeah, just we're we're everywhere. Our YouTube channel is also Profession Confession. So we should bring up the the new thing. Tevin had the greatest idea. This is all Tevin. If you have a workplace confession. That maybe you don't think it's enough for an episode, but there's something like, whatever, you've been stealing $1,000 a year out of stuff. You can email it to us at the info at Profession Confession. Do we have that form anonymous yet? Or is it, um, like, is oh, there a way yeah, to can... you guys, yes, we had a guy that worked at a grocery store and said we should interview a grocery store clerk. Obviously, I don't know if there's an hour worth of funny material, but we're like, if you have a story you, that you guys think is, oh, I have this great work story. Send it to us either on Facebook or Twitter or email it to us. We'll keep and, it anonymous. Yep, and we'll just read your story verbatim, and we're going to start doing episodes of reading and judging all these profession Right, or at Everyday the Yeah, yeah, or at the f- beginning of an episode, we'll do one. You know, we'll see what comes into us, but we, we just love that idea. I think that'll be mm-hmm. a fun thing. So okay. send them in, please. So if you walked in on your boss doing coke, yeah, let us know. <laughs> Give me his number. Yeah. <laughs> And that concludes another episode of the Minnesota Skinny. Thanks again to Gabe Noah and Tevin Pittman for taking the time. And thank you all for tuning in. If you want more, you can find past episodes of the Minnesota Skinny on iTunes and almost anywhere else you get your podcasts from for now. I'll be back next week with a new show. But until then, make good decisions until Friday night, then make bad decisions until Monday. And always remember what our good friend John Lennon told us. The time you enjoyed wasting was not wasted. Stay cool out there.